So good. I mean, too good to not believe. Like, I mean, just so powerful and I think just resonates with where we're at as a church right now. Am I right? Like, well, good morning, church, and happy daylight savings time day. Okay, that was a little bit better than first service. Uh, I will tell you that we, you know, our 9 a.m. service, like, they showed up this morning. And let's be real, they showed up for a 9 a.m. service on daylight savings time Sunday, so they're a little nuts. But you know, you guys got the little extra sleep, and so I think we can go a little bit harder than them. Am I right? Okay, well, that's not promising, but at least we got something to work with. We got something to work with. So if I've not had the pleasure of meeting you, my name is Derek Blewett. I'm one of our student pastors here at Genesis Metro, and I have the privilege of helping to lead our students as well as our young adults here. And uh, it is just such a privilege to, to be on this stage and to preach God's word uh, for you this morning. Um, and I want to start by thanking Pastor Tim and Carrie for uh, giving me this opportunity to be part of this series. Because uh, this Nehemiah series, uh, if you've been here uh, for e any of the weeks so far, I think we can all agree this has been a powerful series, right? Man, this has been a good series. I know it's, it's spoken to my soul a little bit, but I think that when we look back on this moment in our history, we're going to look back on the series and we're going to remember that this series matters to our future, that this series really matters to our present, but it also shows where God is taking us as a church. And it is so exciting to be part of it. And, you know, I, when we started this process of building a building. Like in case this is your first Sunday, we're in the process of a little project where we're building a building on El Dorado. Uh, it, we are like maybe four months away. Like it is, the time is winding down. I know, I'm excited. It's probably a little bit more than four months, but it's about four months, give or take. Who knows, construction. We still have spring to get through, so be praying. But we, ha we started this project really 2018, 2019. And when the process started, Pastor Tim challenged the church to, to go to the land and to walk it, to walk through this empty field, to realize and to, to, to think and pray over what God was going to do with this patch of grass. And while we were out there, uh, he, he challenged us to grab a stone, to, to go out there and find just like a rock and, and collect it, to pray over it, to write scripture on it, and let that be a symbol of our commitment to what God was doing in our church. And see, my wife is really good at capturing and, and cataloging our memories. And so she took pictures of this. That's why it looks so good. But I look at that rock and, and that rock we've held onto, it's, it, if you've seen the, the rocks in the, in the foyer out here, it's part of that display. Though, and each one of those rocks represents a family. Each one of those stones tell a story of what God has done in people in our church. And it points to not just our past, but also to our future. See, when those stones were out there on that land, though, they were just rocks, right? Like, they were just like bits of, like, whatever rocks are made out of. But, but when God's word was added to those stones, when God's word is added to the equation, everything changes. That rock all of a sudden becomes redeemed. That stone becomes a story. And now it becomes something that we can build upon. And so this morning, we are continuing in the story of Nehemiah. Last week, Pastor Tim covered the first half of chapter 2 and the art of the ask, and that if we're walking in God's calling, you may have not because you ask not. That God has placed favor and blessing available to us if we walk in his calling, and that might look a lot of different ways. But for Nehemiah, he had the courage to stand in front of the most powerful king in the world and ask for 
everything. I mean, that guy is bold. It's not just PTO. It's not just like, oh, can I just like go take a vacation or something? He asks for time off. He asks for materials. He asks his oppressor for everything. And so this morning, as we go into the second half of the chapter, I'm going to just summarize verses 11 through 16 because we don't have time to cover them. And honestly, uh, this morning, I, it's not that important because the first half uh, of this section, it covers Nehemiah as he arrives in Jerusalem. You know, he takes a long journey. Remember, it starts, he starts in the equivalent of Fargo, North Dakota, coming all the way down to Frisco. Like over 900 miles that he has to travel and, and he's not traveling by car or something. And so that's a hard journey. And so when he finally arrives, it, it talks about how he takes a break and then he sneaks away from his guards and he starts to inspect the city. He starts walking through the city with a select group of people and he goes to all these really cool sounding places like the Jackal Well and the Dung Gate. And like, I'm sure that's what you really want to hear this morning. It's like the history of the Dung Gate and like, why is that important? And really it's not. But this morning, we're going to pick up the story in verse 17. Verse 17 Nehemiah says to the people with him after inspecting the walls, you see the trouble that we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and we will no longer be in disgrace. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God on me and what the king had said to me. They replied, let us start rebuilding. And so they began this good work. Man, that, that moment is, is cinematic a little bit, isn't it? Like, it's just like, Nehemiah gets his, like, Braveheart moment where he gets his, like, fire the troops up, and he's like, we can do it. And they're like, yeah, we can do it. Let's do it. Let's rebuild. But to me, it, it, it reminds me of one of those moments where, like, expectations meet reality, right? Like, he's done inspecting the walls, and now his expectations have met reality. And to me, that takes me back to three years ago when this little thing called the COVID-19 pandemic started and everyone was super into pandemic hobbies. Like we all, all of a sudden had this time off and now we're like, hey, I'm gonna learn how to make bread. Like everyone was super into these weird things for like the first two or three weeks before we actually reopened and probably did the right thing. But when I look back, I think about all these different things that we got into like 3D printing and sewing. And like for me, it was, uh, I learned how to roast coffee because I'm obsessed with coffee. And so I was like, might as well learn this too. And I still do that. But the other thing I wanted to learn was how to bake. Uh, and see, I'm generally the cook in our family. I love cooking and my wife is the baker. And I'm like, well, it's really just different ingredients for the same thing, right? <laughs> and so I'm like, well, I I'll just give it a try. Like, how hard can it be? And so I, <laughs> I brought a picture that I think shows a little bit about my results. Um, <laughs> not... Less than ideal. <laughs> I think less than ideal is the, the, the easiest way for my ego to put it. It did not work. And so three years later, I look back, I'm still not a baker. Uh, the, the most that I will do is I'll get Toll House cookie dough and just make cookies like that. I'm like, here, babe, I made you cookies. And she's like, cool. And then she's like making marshmallows by hand and doing all sorts of weird stuff. See, sometimes I think our expectations don't line up with reality. And part of the trouble for Nehemiah in this moment is not, he doesn't have to just manage his own expectations. He doesn't have to deal with the reality just for him. He now has to manage the expectations for an entire city. An entire group of people now rely on his vision. But the, the powerful thing in the first part of Nehemiah's story in this moment that I think we need to recognize is that he goes through this process with the people. 
He leads them down this road to get them to their destination, and that road starts with his inspection. He takes an honest assessment of the situation that they're in, and that inspection led to information. See, he says to the people that you see the trouble we are in. And I think it's really important to recognize what he says there, that it's not the trouble that you are in. It's not the trouble that I'm in. It's the trouble that we're in. He makes it personal. He unites with the people in this moment. And he, he says to them, I know you think that I don't belong here. I, I, I know I'm not from here, but this is my problem too. This is my fight too. He unites with them in that moment. He makes it personal to them. He connects with them on that. And we see stuff like this happen all the time, even now. Uh, you know, as a staff member, our staff places a really high value on connecting with people. We love getting to know people. We love going out and having coffee time with people or going to lunches, getting to know people. And so, you know, if you're new here, you probably have already gotten a text from us being like, hey, I'm this person from staff. Like, you want to go grab coffee? And you're like, how did you get my number? Like, leave me alone. But we love meeting people. We love connecting with people. Like, we're borderline aggressive about it. But it's just something that we love to do. But when we go on these coffee, like, interactions and we go on lunches with people, we'll hear stuff pretty regularly. Like, everyone on staff said that they've had this moment where they've talked to somebody and they said, well, how are things going at your church? How are things going with your building project? And, you know, for someone that's like a guest, someone that's new to the church, like, you know, that makes sense. You know, we're still in that talking phase. Like, we're in that, like, first date, second date kind of weird moment where we're like, I don't know if this is really going to work. Like, we're still, like, getting to know each other. So I, I get why it would not be personal. But we'll also hear this from life group leaders. We'll also hear this from ministry team leaders, people that invest their time and their energy and their money into our church. And it's like, no, this is, this is our church. This isn't my church. I don't own this church. Pastor Tim and Carrie don't own this church. This church belongs to all of us. The burdens and the blessings of this community belong to all of us. And so we need to see our situation like that. But I think when we hear stuff like that, it really reveals a lot about how we view community. That when you view community, when you value community, you'll see things, you'll see problems collectively. You'll look at the situations in your life through a different lens. You'll, you'll think of things not just as your problem. They're not your struggles. They're our struggles. It's something that I'm going to walk through this with you. I'm going to celebrate your victory with you because we're part of this together. We're in this together. See, Nehemiah knows this. He challenges the people and he has the vision to, to lead them down this path. And so he has the vision all the way in Fargo, <laughs> all the way, miles and miles away. But it's not until he gets to Frisco, it's not until he makes it to Jerusalem and he sees the walls for what they are. And he's inspected the situation that his expectations meet reality. See, for him, the provision, it's already been provided. The situation is in hand, but now that reality sets in, he sees the ruins. He sees the rubble that's all around him. But the cool thing and the challenging thing is, is that Nehemiah and the people that were with him, they were unfazed by what was unbuilt. It didn't matter what the situation looked like. They only saw what could be. 
They saw that things didn't have to stay the same way that they had been. And so when moments like this come into your life, you know, when that moment happens that you've been dreaming about, when that deal is finally on the table that's going to change everything, when that, when that moment that you've been praying for finally comes, or if we're really honest this morning, that conversation that you've been dreading, the moment that you have lost sleep over, that you're stressing out about, that cannot let go of, when that moment finally comes, how do you handle it? Where do you turn? Nehemiah knows that he can trust God. He knows what God has called him to. And we see how the people respond with Nehemiah in this moment. That the inspection has led him to information. They know the situation that they're in and that information leads to inspiration. Nehemiah inspires, his whole story starts by inspiring a king, his natural enemy, the man that, treat, that literally has him in slavery, that has enslaved his entire people, that has no reason to give him anything. He inspires that man to trust in him and to give him everything that he needs. And now that Nehemiah has inspired the king, he now gets to inspire an entire community because he is boldly walking in his calling. He knows what God has called him to. And he knows the situation that he is in, but it took honesty to get there. And I think this is going to be, I think this part is tough for a lot of people. I think this is a difficult thing to face because I don't think we really like to, to be honest with the situations that we are in. I think a lot of time we go through life and instead of being honest, it ends up looking something like this. <laughs> we go through life and we, we just keep telling ourselves, it's fine. How's your job doing? Oh, it's fine. Hate my boss. Oh my gosh, hate my boss. But everything's fine. How are the kids doing? Oh, they're great. It's fine. Man, it's fine. You know, my house almost burned down, but it's fine. <laughs> How's your marriage? Hey, it's fine. It's fine. We haven't talked in three days, but it's fine. We'll get over it. We'll get through it. It's fine. Like, this is going to date me a little bit. Um, and I'm, I'm pretty old. I'm in my 30s. <laughs> but... I know, I know. I feel very old, though, okay? You see all this gray? This is, this is what you get for serving in student ministry. But um, I grew up watching this old movie called Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Has anyone seen that? Okay, so King Arthur faces off with the, the Black Knight, and he, like, he cuts his arm off, and he's like, it's just a flesh wound. Like, I think that's how a lot of us go through life and go through these different situations, that we just tell ourselves it's just a flesh wound, that it's fine. Things might be burning down around you, but we tell ourselves it's going to be okay. That everything is going to work out for good. And that could be true. But are you being honest with the situation that you're in? Are you being honest with the trouble that you're in this morning? Are you being honest with the trouble that your kids are in this morning? That our city is in this morning? Or have we become so comfortable and so cold with our Frisco facade, that everywhere we go, we just tell ourselves it's fine. While we know full well that it's burning down around us. See, tr church, the, the truth is that you will not rebuild 
what you do not see is broken. What you don't see is broken. What you aren't willing to face, you will never fix. What you are not willing to, to fix will never be restored. And you will not rebuild what you do not see as broken. And so are you honest with the things that are broken in your life? Nehemiah is honest. He doesn't sugarcoat it for the people. But he doesn't leave them with hopelessness. See, that inspection that he starts with led to information. The information led to inspiration, and that inspiration led to initiative. He didn't leave them with just some powerful words, but he's like, we need to do something about it. That God is with us. This is our moment. We can change our situation because God is with us every step of the way. And they said, we're with you. This is our time. And these people in Jerusalem, they grew up seeing this rubble. This is not new to them. This is not a new development to them. They're not like, well, it just happened. Like, I don't know what to do. They grew up in this circumstance. They knew these stones very well. They were used to this rubble. But they also saw that God was in this moment. That it didn't matter how long those stones had laid there, that God had provided a path forward and that this was their time to do something about it. That this was their time to take a step. This was their time to do something bold and to change things up because they knew that with God, there was nothing that was going to stand against them. So maybe this morning you walked in and it's been nothing but ruins for you. Maybe this morning you walked in and all you see is the rubble in your life. That if we were honest with each other, we could look at your career and it's not fine. And we could look at home and it's not fine. We could look at your marriage and it's not fine. You see the trouble that you are in. It's not news to you. You know the rubble very well. But the good thing is, and the inspiration that is coming forward this morning is that with God, there is a path forward. There is hope that you don't have to stay in those ruins any longer. But what do you need? Inspiration. Every Sunday, God is here. Every sermon, every set of worship, inspiration is going forth. But is that driving you to initiative? Is that driving you to do something, to change your circumstances, knowing that you have an opportunity to rebuild? See, if you would take hold of that inspiration, it would lead you to initiative. That initiative would lead you to just a single step. And it might feel like that step isn't going to make that big of a difference, but I, I've come to tell you that that step is just the first, that's just the start of the path that God has for you. That is one stone, but with each stone, with each step, the wall gets rebuilt. And then before you know it, everything has changed because you took that first step. It's got to start somewhere. All of a sudden, things can change. And instead of facing those situations alone, wouldn't it be better if we could rebuild together? If we could face this together? But we got to start somewhere. we got to start with a single step. See, Nehemiah and the people, they take that step. They commit to the walk that God has placed before them. But look what happens in the next verse. Verse 19. 
It says, but when Sanballat the Horonite, Tobiah the Ammonite official, and Geshem the Arab heard about it, they mocked and ridiculed us. What is this you're doing? They asked. Are you rebelling against the king? Like, can't you just hear how smug and annoying they are? Like, it just sounds terrible. It's like, it's like someone walks up to you at work and like, how's that project going? And you're like, shut up, Gary. I didn't ask you. <laughs> as soon as they heard about it, it's like these guys have been lurking in the shadows this whole time and they wait for the moment where they finally take a stand and they want to do something about it that they step forward. Man, isn't it funny that every time you, com- you want to make a positive change in your life, that something will always rise up to challenge that change. Every single time. You know, we're in March. Uh, we're a couple months into the year. Something happens at the beginning of the year, every year, where we make these little things called New Year's resolutions, right? You know, now that we've gone through a couple months, I think that all of us can agree that most of those resolutions maybe have hit pause, <laughs> right? You know, maybe you're doing a lot better than I am, but I know that for me, there's some resolutions where, you know, I go a week and I'm like, oh, I haven't done that thing in a while. <laughs> I, haven't, I haven't kept up with that change. Something has come up and distracted me from what I wanted to do. And all of a sudden, those things get put on pause or they get pushed. Man, why is that? Why is it that every time we want to do something positive in our life, opposition rises up? And it's even worse when you want to do something with God. Man, this is the year I want to start reading my Bible. Man, you know what? I'm loving what God is doing in Genesis Metro. I'm loving what God is doing in my church. I want to start serving. And all of a sudden, everything gets a little bit harder. All of a sudden, you know, scrolling through Instagram for the hundredth time that day sounds a lot better than reading your Bible. All of a sudden, you wake up on Sunday morning, you're like, oh, I didn't sleep well last night. Snooze. These things come up, this opposition arises, but you should expect opposition to what God wants to do in your life. There is, there is real opposition that stands between you and what God wants for you. But I think most of the time when we see this opposition, our perspective is that opposition is an obstacle. But the reality is that your, your opposition is your opportunity. That opposition doesn't have to be an obstacle in front of your life. But I think that's how most of us look at it. That we see these things in our life and opposition will arise and it, we think that it's something that we have to overcome. And so this conflict comes up and we end up looking like one of two people. We end up looking like one of two camps. I'm telling you, like, we end up looking like one of these two guys. Now, and I know this is true because, you know, personal, this is me, I'm going to be very personal with you this morning. This is how my wife and I are. Uh, <laughs> we fall into one of two camps, and, but this is, it's so stark that this is what makes me so convicted about this, that I think all of us fall into one of two categories. And, you know, my wife, Holly, is so much better than I am at, like, everything. Uh, she, she loves people. She is nice. She is sweet. She's smart. She's way funnier than I am. But, you know, I would say that she maybe avoids conflict. Uh, maybe those awkward conversations are a little not her favorite. She doesn't want to do that. She thinks that if she has to merge in front of somebody on the tollway that that's upsetting them and it might ruin their day. 
And so when conflict comes up, she ends up looking like Nicolas Cage. Like, she is so just grizzled by it. She's like, oh, conflict. I don't want to do it. She's almost afraid of it. And I bet about half the people in here can relate to that. And normally I'd ask, I'd ask you to raise your hands, but that might be too confrontational for you. But what if Nehemiah was like that? What if Nehemiah saw the opposition in his life? What if he had been called by God to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, to do something that no one had done for generations, to take a stand and do something for his people, but then all of a sudden these jokers come out of nowhere and they're like, we don't like what you're doing. He's like, well, that's, that's a good point. I don't know, I don't want to hurt anyone's feelings. I don't want to step on any toes. So like, maybe if we just talked about this, like we could really come to like some kind of agreement or compromise. And No, like that is not how this works. Nothing would get done. Opposition is going to arise against you. You can't run away from it. But then there's people like me. <laughs> on the other extreme, I would say that people like me don't fear conflict, that when conflict comes up, we end up looking more like Pedro Pascal. You know, maybe it puts a smile on our face. Maybe we're thinking, I get to resolve something today. And I'm not going to say I'm pro-conflict. Like, that, that would be insane. But I would say that sometimes when conflict arises, I'm like, there's conflict? What can we, what can we resolve? Like, what, can, what do, difficult conversation do I need to have with you? How can we make this better? Like, if there's something about it that just gives me a little bit of an energy boost. Like, it's almost like an adrenaline rush. I'm like, yes, let's do it. But... When we're like this, when we are pro-conflict, when we're not afraid of it, we think that we have to face every enemy that comes our way. We think that any opposition in front of us is something that we have to crush. But do you really think that God is calling you to crush all of your opposition? Do you really think God is sitting up there on his throne? He's like, yeah, bro, just let him have it. Just, I know you, I know you can be salt and light in a dying world and really help this person because you just like clobber them over stealing your parking spot. Like really go for it, buddy. No, what God says about conflict is that, hey, that disagreement you're having, don't worry about it. Vengeance is mine. God says that if someone slaps you across one cheek, give them the other. He says that if at all possible, live in peace with everybody. Man, I struggle with that. I don't want to live in peace. I want to fight it out. But it's not my fight, it's God's. The opposition isn't mine, it's God's. See, God is calling us somewhere in between. He's calling us to somewhere in the middle. That we can't be pro-conflict, that we can't look to crush all the opposition in our life, but we can't run away from it either. And so if we're going to face the opposition in front of us, we need a perspective shift. We need to see things differently. See, because op opposition cannot be an obstacle for us to overcome. Opposition has to be an opportunity for us for obedience. That God has called you to a journey. That God has a specific plan in mind for your life. And that means that opposition is coming for you specifically. Your fight is not my fight, but we can walk through it together. Those opportunities for you are going to come but are you going to obey God and what he's called you to? I'll give you an example. So like I said, I'm one of our student pastors here, and that means that I'm here 
basically every Wednesday night. Um, I've served in Fuse for over nine years, and I have not missed that many Wednesdays in that time because I love it so much. There's something about being around teenagers that is, like, it's fun to me. It's fun seeing them go from teenagers to changed, to, being, to seeing the change that God brings in their life, to see their enthusiasm. But I've got to be honest. There's something about this generation, right? Like any parents of teenagers know exactly what I'm talking about. There's something about this generation where it's just weird. Like I don't remember, like I remember being a teenager. I'm not that old, but, and trust me, pre-Jesus Derek was a problem. But there's something about being around these teenagers that I just don't fully get it. Like, how do they come to these conclusions sometimes? I, like, it doesn't make any sense. But what if I let those awkward moments and those difficult conversations that I have to have and all those moments where I have to tell someone you can't do that for the thousandth time, what if I let that opposition hold me back from the calling that was on my life? What would I miss out on? What would our students miss out on? Because I wasn't doing my part. See, opposition's gonna come, but that opposition is worth it. I know for our students that I know that every difficult conversation that I have to have is for their good. That I'm helping see, I'm helping them find the path that God has for them. And I'm fighting for them. And I know that that fight is worth their future. So I'm gonna do it every single time, knowing that their lives are worth it. And so we see how Nehemiah responds. Last verse, verse 20. Nehemiah answers them by saying, the God of heaven will give us success. We, his servants, we're going to start rebuilding. But as for you, you have no share in Jerusalem or any claim or any historic right to it. Just, he's so filled with bravado in this moment. He knows the truth that he's standing on. And I'm going to close with this last point of talking about your share in the story. Your share in the story. See, Nehemiah knows his part. He knows his share. And so he tells them that, I don't care what you say, we're going to start rebuilding this wall. And that God has already given us success. Like he's resolute in it. He knows it's going to happen. There's no doubt in his mind. And so he's filled with this defiance for the supposed authority that has stepped forward in front of him. And I think, I think we all have voices like that in our lives, don't we? We all have people from our past that have told us what we were going to amount to, what we could or couldn't be, what our limitations were. For me, it was my senior year of high school. I applied to a job at a smoothie bar, which was my first mistake. <laughs> my second mistake was that all my friends worked there, and so I wanted to be there. But the real reason was that there's this cute girl named Holly there, and I really wanted to get to know her better. <laughs> it worked out, that's all I'm saying, it worked out. But I applied once, rejected. I'm like, well, I'm persistent. I'm not gonna take no for an answer. I apply a second time. I go through this interview. 
And honestly, I look back on this, and I, I have respect for this, this, this <laughs> how she handled this, because as soon as the interview's over, she just looks at me, and he's like, yeah, I can't give you the job. <laughs> like, are you sure about it? Like, maybe, maybe you should sleep on this first. Like, we really just finished talking. I think you need to, to really process this. And she's like, well, I just don't, I just don't think you're a people person. <laughs> well, joke's on her, I guess. Like, I don't, like, now my whole job is people. But what if I let that voice hold me back from the calling that God placed on my life? Man, wouldn't it be sad if that was where you stayed? Wouldn't it be sad if, if you let those lies from your past hold you back from what God was calling you to in your present? See, Nehemiah is filled with conviction and defiance in this moment. But why is that? Why is he so convinced that God is going to grant him success? Well, it's because that's what he prayed for. He knew and had been praying that God would walk with him, that would grant him success as he goes through this process. And he'd already seen one giant obstacle cast out of the way because the king, the most powerful king in the world, his enslaver, the person that held his people down, that was part of the problem, granted him favor. And so he knew that he had the support of the most powerful king, but more importantly, he knew that he had the support of the king of kings, that it didn't matter what anyone would say against him. Then he knew that the calling that God had placed upon his life was bigger than any obstacle, that any opposition that was going to face him, he knew that it was an opportunity for him to obey, that he knew that there was a path forward. And so he faces it with confidence. He knows that it doesn't matter what the enemy looks like, that he can stand against it with confidence knowing that he's walking in God's calling. And I think this is a difficult part for a lot of people because I don't think we're facing our enemies with confidence. I don't think that when we face the enemies and the trials that come our way that we can stand against them confidently. See, Nehemiah, he knows God's truth. He knows the promise that God had given him and the burden that was on his heart to build for God's people. So when the enemy comes, he can stand against him and say, bro, this ain't your story. This ain't your story, chief. He stands against them filled with confidence. And I know, I know, I don't need to know your story to know that you're facing an enemy today. And that enemy might look different than mine, but we all face enemies. There are enemies that stand against us and stand what, they stand against what God is trying to do in our lives. And we need to be able to boldly stand up against them in confidence and say, this ain't your story. That there's something in your head or there's something in your heart or there's something in your home right now that stands between what, you, uh, in your life, that stands between you and God. That you need to be able to stand up against it and say that this ain't your story. You have no share in what you're in my head or in my heart or in my marriage. That you have no part in my family. That the rock that I have built my life upon is resolute. That the, the, the stone that I built my marriage on will stand against any storm. And I know that what God's word says about me is not going to fail me. But is that your story? Is that your reality? Are you walking in the obedience that God has called you to? Are you building 
what God has called you to. See, when I look back at that stone, I know and I remember the words that I wrote on it because there was only two passages that I could write on it. Two passages of God's word that I had built my life upon up to this moment. The first one was Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20, which are known as the Great Commission, where Jesus tells his disciples before he leaves that all authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you even to the very end of the age. Amen. The second one was 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 8 through 10, where Paul, this disciple of Jesus, this powerful man of God, writes to a young man named Timothy, and he says, Remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel for which I am suffering, even to the point of being chained like a criminal. But God's word is not chained. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they too may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. For years, these have been the passages that I built my life upon, that had weathered the storms of marriage, that had weathered moving across country, when I had no idea what my next step was, they became my filter. But what I didn't realize was that these two passages were written to men who would become pastors. See, I was not a pastor when we wrote these down, but God's calling was on my life. I was not walking in this blessing yet, but the burden for God's people was already on my heart. My stone became my story. And so now when I am challenged to walk in obedience, when I have to have those awkward conversations, when my expectations do not meet reality, why do I follow him? Why do I give when it doesn't make sense? Why do I give up my time and my energy when it feels like I have nothing left to give? Why do I sacrifice time at home with my wife to be there for another young adult? Why do I keep walking through the face of anxiety and doubt and nerves and questions? It's because I want to help you write your story. It's because I know the calling that God's placed upon my life is not up for debate. It's already been decided. It's resolute. That here whether this is your first week here or your thousandth week here, your story matters. Your life matters to us. And see, I want to be able to look at those stones on El Dorado one day when I'm good and old. And I want to be able to look back and see that the rocks and the ruins have been redeemed. That those stones have become your story that we can look back and know that the burdens that you walked in with, they've become blessings. But it takes God's word. It takes obedience. And so this morning as I close and as the band comes back out and we enter into this time of reflection,
as we worship, we have a tradition here at Genesis Metro where we, we firmly believe in the power of God's word. That our goal every week, every day, every hour, the reason we exist is so that you may experience life change in response to God's word. Not Pastor Tim's word, not my word, but God's word. Amen. And so we firmly believe in the power of scripture to change lives, to change hearts. And so as part of our camps and our retreats, we have this tradition where we select pages out of the Bible. We may highlight key verses. We pray over these pages and we give them out seemingly at random. But I can assure you that of the dozens of camps and retreats and events where we've done this that I've seen, those random pages have seen marriages restored, have seen students gone from depression and no hope to new life and freedom. They've seen fathers become the men that God has called them to be, families to be healed, doubts answered. And so this morning, as we worship, you will have the opportunity to come forward and grab a page. And this word, it may just be your word for today. It may be your word for the week or the month or the whole year. But I know that whatever page you grab is God's word for you. That whatever guidance you need, whatever encouragement you need, whatever hope that you need this morning is waiting for you in these baskets. The inspiration has gone forth. And now it's time for initiative. So Lord, thank you that your word has gone forth, that we get to walk in obedience to what you've called us, that we have the opportunity every single day to trust you when it doesn't make sense, to trust you when it's easy, to trust you when it's difficult, knowing that no matter the situation, no matter the circumstances, no matter the doubts, no matter what our expectations may have been, that your reality is greater than anything we could have asked for. And so Lord, I pray over every person in this room, every person watching online, every person that was through these doors this week, that they, re they would realize that there's a burden on all of us, that the blessing is for all of us, but the burden is as well. So church, let's rebuild together. Let's rebuild what God has called us to rebuild. Let's rebuild families. Let's rebuild marriages. Let's rebuild our city. And let's see what God wants to do with us this morning. So in your name we pray. Amen.